Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're in a series, just a, a kind of like a micro-series on identity, and last week was heavy. I know, if you were here, um, I was kind of saying all the things, right? And so um, all the things that maybe we're thinking or maybe my hope and the thing that I felt God laid on my heart was to bring clarity to into some of the confusion around what's going on in our world today. And the, the reality is, is that we have an age-old enemy, and his name is the devil. And it started in Genesis 1, and it, it began when the world was created. The enemy had jealousy in his heart towards what God had and who he was and the way he was worshipped. And he wanted to be God like himself. And so when he got it in his head that he would overthrow the Lord, uh, he got a serious smackdown. And in God's infinite wisdom, and I, this, this is sometimes hard to understand, is that God allowed the enemy to play a part so that we could experience eternal salvation and connection with him for all eternity by choice. And so choice is what defines love, church. Choice is what makes love matter and be real and what makes it important. And, and without choice, choosing to love another person, then love is just empty and robotic. Like when your moms, like when, when you tell your children, buy me flowers, and then you sort of like go buy them for them, and you hand them to them, and they hand them to you, and you pretend like it was a gift. It's a little bit not as awesome, right? It's missing a little bit of the meaning. But with God... It, he desires this love relationship to be so pure and so rich that he was willing to leave a devil in the world with us today. And this might blow your mind and be like, what the, this is where we wrestle. Is God really good? How could a good and loving God leave a devil in our world? Well, a good and loving God desires relationship by choice so desperately with each one of us that he knew we needed to understand what it was like to be outside of the perfection of Christ. In the garden, we found ourselves in perfection, but lacking something, the knowledge of good and evil. And so when the enemy was left in the garden, it, the, he was there tempting to, to convince humanity that there was something better than being in the presence of God. And they didn't know what it was like to be outside of his presence. So guess what they did? They chose to discover what it would be like to be outside of his presence. And the enemy, the devil himself, was the one whispering and tempting that, that God's creation. But God trusted in himself more than the brokenness and the suffering that was to come. And the mess that would be a part of the design for free will choice for eternity. And so the enemy deceives mankind, and we call this the fall. Perfection, or in the garden, and we come out of the garden into the fall, which is what we experience today, a broken world. That the enemy was wreaking havoc. Before Jesus came, guys, the enemy was dominant in the whole world, so bad that God flooded the earth and started over again. He wanted to prove, without him in the space, that, that, that the whole world would just go absolutely bonkers if the enemy was running. And so he goes, look, that's what happens when I'm not involved. And then he floods the earth and he goes, I'm going to show you the next space. Like, listen, 
And, th- and then he brings in, he makes a covenant with Noah, and makes a covenant with Abraham, he makes a covenant with uh, Moses, and all the Israelites makes a nation. He says, on this nation, the whole world will be blessed. You will be blessed to be a blessing. And in that moment, light began to pierce the darkness, and the word of God began to pierce the darkness. It began to tell everybody what sin really was, where who God was in his shape and who where we were and, and we were out of shape. You know what I'm saying? You look at like a men's fitness magazine, you're like, that dude's in shape. You look at you in the mirror and you're like, I'm kind of out of shape. That's the Ten Commandments, okay? If you're wondering, you look at the Ten Commandments, you go, like, oh, that's in shape. That's Jesus' shape. And you look at you and you kind of go, like, yeah, kind of like a little boot over here and a over here. And you're like, eh. Not quite in the same shape. <laughs> but the law did nothing to make us more like him. It only exposed, and this is New Testament, tells us it exposed us and made us like go, shoot, we're out of shape. It's like a mirror in the gym. Like wearing lots of clothes to cover up or not, you know, trying to hide the shape. But when Jesus showed up, this is truly when the power of the kingdom of darkness was broken destroyed and taken from the enemy and placed in the hands of God's, Jesus's heirs. And you know who he calls his heirs? Every single person who calls on the name of Jesus becomes an heir, becomes a child of God. And from that point, the, the, the power of God's love through the Holy Spirit begins to indwell in us, the fullness of it, and surround us. And so then everywhere we go, we are, wherever we are stepping, we are taking back the kingdom of darkness. The enemy knows that he's lost his power, and he only has power when, when, when Christians or kingdom believers do not possess the space or abdicate their responsibility, give it up. But when Jesus crashed into the world, and that's the way he invades our life, he crashes into our life that's like, we see the Ten Commandments, and then we're like, Ooh. we see that God is good, and he's right, and we're like, I am not that. And then Jesus comes in, he makes us right, not by anything we do, but by what he has fully done for us. And we're made right. We don't have to get right. We're made right. And then we, from that made rightness within us, it's called imputed righteousness, put inside but already existing righteousness, we work out our salvation what we've been saved from, with fear and trembling, like, God, bring me into alignment with the nature of your son, Jesus. I want to look like him. But guys, this is the thing. We cannot change the truth. The enemy wants to reshape the truth. But we cannot change the truth. We can't. It's like a giant oak tree that is planted deep in the ground, and it's growing up and it's bearing fruit. And yes, we can come underneath its branches and benefit from its prosperity and from its fruit. But we cannot change the truth that the oak tree is an immovable force. That is the truth of God, is the nature of God, it's who he is. And so in the kingdom, we're designed to bring people who do not agree with us about what the truth is under the branches of our oak tree in love. Love and acceptance and there to eat of the fruit of goodness and love. But just because we accept does not change the truth. Okay, and this is what we were talking about last week, which is like a pretty heavy 
message, and I know some of y'all could get offended by this, but my goal is not that anyone gets offended, even though the, the, the offense is that the tree is immovable. The tree is a shape. Jesus is a shape. He is immovable. He is. It's just what's so hard for us to understand is that if we don't agree, the enemy wants us to get into our mind that if we don't agree or all behave the same way, we cannot have relationship and acceptance. That's a lie. We can actually, I, I can believe in the oak tree of the truth of who God is in his kingdom and that, that he is immovable and he is a perfect shape and I want to be like his shape and I can love you and you can believe something totally different and the kingdom of God accepts and loves and brings people in without violating the truth of who God really is. It's kind of amazing that God is immovable and his love is irresistible. And it's all accepting, no matter where we're all at. Listen, the reality is, is that we are all so broken and in sin that none of us would find acceptance if it was based on our performance and what we do. But last week, we were talking about this delicate thing that the enemy is trying to lie to all of us and say that we are what we desire. That our identity is actually what we desire. And guys, if this was really true, folks, y'alls, you're not all guys, ladies and gentlemen, if, you, if this was really true, then my desire for whatever I want would then define my identity. I say, that's who I am. This is dangerous thinking because now you can see it, the madness across the land. It's like everybody can be anything they want now. Men can be women and women can be men. And all of a sudden, uh, they can be animals and whatever else. And we're talking about this like with gen, not just gender, like they call it gender confusion. But I mean, that's probably not even the right word because people think they know who they are because they desire something. So if we desire something, it doesn't make us that thing. It just says, I desire this thing. And that doesn't mean it's good for me. Like crack cocaine. I des- if I desire crack cocaine, that doesn't mean it's good for me. And I shouldn't be a crack addict because that will ruin me and the people around me. The confusion, and I'm just going to like lay a little bit of thinking here. The confusion when it comes to relationships is there are so many good things in relationships mixed in because God made us to love one another. No matter, men to love men, women to love women, okay? And the other way around, like all family. But those desires, the Bible tells us in truth, ought to have a boundary. When I'm married, there's a boundary of where one man and one woman, when I go outside that boundary, if I start loving other ladies, we got a problem. Even if I desired to. Anytime we have conversations around polygamy, my wife loses her mind. I'm like, I'm not saying I want to be a polygamist. That would be a nightmare. She's hot. It's true, right? I mean, it's a trigger. Okay, so forgive me for saying that. I didn't mean to say it on Mother's Day. But I don't desire to be a polygamist. Some people do. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it good for you, right? And this goes across all the boundaries of where we can have desires, but they don't define who we are. We can have godly desires. We can have ungodly desires. But if we don't know the truth, then we can't align ourselves with which, what is actually good for us. And what is actually good for us is what is going to be in heaven in eternity, And when we end up in eternity, we are there now out of this broken, fallen world where the enemy is trying to corrupt and mainly trying to corrupt us all with lies to get us to believe the tree doesn't look like it really 
is. Jesus doesn't look like he really is. If, if the enemy can get us to believe that that truth is different and he, he sells it on the, 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 the thing, please, Lord, the words. He sells it on this idea that if you don't look exactly like the shape, you can't be accepted. Lie. That is not the kingdom. That is not the gospel. None of us look exactly like Jesus. We all wish we did no matter how bad we try. Right? But we're all accepted if we believe. That's it. Right? Then we work it out. Okay. But what happens is, is that when we enter into eternity coming out of this broken, fallen world where there's suffering and loss and the enemy has wreaked havoc and we have tasted of the lie and now we have the knowledge of good and evil. We chose to learn the knowledge of good and evil and then we choose Jesus to rescue us from evil and bring us back into eternity we now are placed into eternity by choice in a love relationship that because we've tasted of evil, we know now there is no way in hell we would ever go back to that life. You can loose the devil for a thousand more years to any and all of us. That you live long enough, your body breaks down and enough knee and sh shoulder surgeries, right? You watch the Seahawks lose enough times at the last second in the super, to win the Super Bowl and it breaks your heart. Or the Seattle Kraken keep losing. These teams should win. They're from Seattle. They should be dominant. But the world's not perfect, right? And we have loss. And then we have real loss, which I actually felt like a family member died when they didn't hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch and we lost Super Bowl. I did feel that way. But then I felt way more remorse and loss when I've actually lost people that are really important to me, right? But in that loss, we go into eternity and we realize, holy smokes, I belong because I chose. And because Jesus first chose me and loved me, and I'm there because I was made for this. And actually what I was made for, I was created from. God made me and he shaped me for him. And so when I come back, I feel at home when I experience my love relationship with Jesus and nothing could ever separate me from that love by choice because I would never believe another lie because I already tasted the lie. And my broken emotions and relationships, my broken body, come on guys, this is the answer, at least a part of the answer for why God allows suffering and hardship and allows the enemy to keep running rampant in our world. But the enemy is a liar, a thief, and a destroyer of all good things. Everything good that's been established, the enemy's always trying to erode it. His best ideas are to erode and destroy the good ideas that God has established. Even if they're not perfect, right? The things that we have worked out with the Lord, he's always just trying to undermine them and destroy them. And he's trying to destroy the family right now. And he's trying to destroy the ability for people to multiply and grow the church. We're dedicating babies, but if nobody believes in babies or kills all the babies or believes that they should be another gender, guess what? We'll no longer have any more babies. Because 100% of all humanity was born through women up to this date. And guess what? That's going to continue on biological women that were born, those are the only ones that are going to own, no matter what else you do to yourself, it doesn't matter, and how, whatever you call yourself, and, and I can love a person no matter what they call themselves. That does not matter to me. 
It, but it doesn't change the truth and the reality of what's really going on is the enemy is trying to end human race because he hates the human race because we worship God. And God loves us, so he hates us, right? This is in Genesis, the beginning part of Genesis, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then Revelation 12, if you really want to go there and kind of figure it out. <clears throat> God is very possessive of the things that he pays for. And he paid for each one of us to be a member of his family. And he has endured great suffering and loss throughout all humanity. And he has shed tear over every single person lost. You know that. Over every suffering, over every hardship, over every single uh, uh, way that a human being has been harmed, he weeps over and he is sad for and he experiences loss. And when we look at the measure of all of that and we understand that it's all for a love relationship with each person, the weight of all of that suffering was wor is worth it to God that we would have and choose a love relationship with him, then it puts a tremendous amount of weight and understanding on how much he really does love us. But I think the greatest revelation that's going to happen when we go into eternity is when we discover and we feel so much love from God that if we had a natural heart and our natural heart got filled with that love, it would explode but thankfully, God gives us a glorified heart that can handle the weight and the volume of the love that, in, that is endless for his kids and his people. And it's going to come and invade and infill us to where I think we'll probably pop. And what will happen is we all fall down and worship him in love and reverence because of how good he really is. But the reality is, is that we are his and he is ours. We are his kids, and he is our good heavenly father. And we have to believe he is good and loving. For our identity to be secure in him, we have to come to the understanding he is good all the time and loving all the time. And if we can't reconcile the, the suffering, the existence, and the reality of suffering, loss, hardship, and the enemy being loose on the world, we'll always be confused about whether God is good and loving, and it'll be, we'll be afraid to approach him. Are you with me? And what God desperately desires is for us to approach him, to step over our earthly fathers and mothers' mistakes and imperfection and be able to step over those things into a relationship with a perfect and good and loving heavenly father who paid the price and was willing to endure all the suffering so that we could be in a perfect relationship with him by choice and it would last for eternity because no one could convince us to choose otherwise. But the reality is, is we are not what we desire. We are his. We are God's. We belong to him. And we're also not what we do, guys. We're not what we put our hands to and what we get the opportunity to do with our natural bodies. God gives us natural bodies. He gives us a mind, will, and emotions. And he gives us personalities within that mind, will, and emotions that are all crazy unique. And we have these opportunities from talents, from physical to psychological talents, emotional talents, brain talents, however you want to call them, to express ourselves in this world. And God loves that. 
He loves this. I, I'm convinced. When you, we, my, my son was doing this report on bugs. He loves bugs. He's like, bugs are cool. And, and I'm like, yeah, bugs are cool. And I'm thinking all the gross bugs I don't like. And then he's like, got, they got all these zoomed up 4K like photos of bugs. And, I mean, you look at these things, you're like, these are crazy. And there's millions and millions of different types of bugs. I don't even know how many types of bugs because I didn't do the report. So. But he was showing me all these one. There's this one that looks like a snake. And I don't even know how big it is, this tiny little thing. It's this little tiny, yeah, it's like this big, okay? My little report guy over here. But what it does, it's like a, it's a bug that like, it's a caterpillar. It hangs upside down like this. And he hangs up that way. And the bottom of his face looks like a snake. And so he like hangs back and he goes like, I'm a snake. And he scares all these people that don't want to come towards him. God made that thing. It's just a flipping caterpillar. He could have made all caterpillars the same, and all the bugs would be like, I'll eat that caterpillar, they're all the same, it's all this bug food, right? But even in bugs, like, if bugs were dinosaurs, guys, this would be a scary world. (laughs) I mean, when you really look at them, they're like crazy and cool, but then terrifying. But God is so creative, and, and, and he spoke that all into the existence. Just think about this, he goes, and let all the animals exist. I mean, how long did it take me to come up with a design of a caterpillar that turns upside down, looks like a snake, and protects itself? Probably it would never happen. And God speaks, and all these things exist. And God gave us this same creative nature, and he designed us all with this uniqueness that is so beautiful, and it's all built on the same love relationship with him. And he loves the expression, and he loves the expression that comes from choice. But the expression that comes from choice has to be rooted in who he is and who he made us to be. Or it will not express something that magnifies the king himself. We're designed to magnify the king himself. Jesus, the king of glory. Our nature is to magnify his nature. Our gifts are actually to magnify his. But what happens so many times is that, some, that, that, that we start to use our gifts for our own acceptance and to create value within ourself. And when we move to self-value, our inflation of self, and especially if we base it on what we do, we do this in the church and outside the church, we do it all over the place. And in fact, the enemy celebrates it. So the world, the lie is, is that you have to be powerful, successful, uh, you have to have uh, 10 million or 5 million or 3 million followers or whatever it is on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it happens to be. If you're a social media, you have a lot of followers, you're now an influencer. And so, like, whatever you say is good. No. I mean, when you really listen to some of this stuff, it is madness. Like, and it's gross. And it is so off track and perverted and, and destructive. And we're, we're, we're telling such demonstrative and destructive lies to the people, especially the emerging generation, that it's so hard for them to cut through and understand what is really true and who is God really and who am I in the midst of this whole mess. And we encourage them and celebrate them like sports athletes that 
Man, if you become the best at something, then you have value. But so many of these people that become the best at something are the most empty on the inside unless their heart is rooted in Jesus, guys. It's just the main factor. You might have heard of this guy. I'm going to read a scripture before I go to this, okay? John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. God did not design us to be servants, but friends. And we're designed to be in the father's business. We're called into his business. So we're like heirs of the business of God. And we're designed for that business. But when our identity gets off track and we listen to the lies of the enemy, then we set ourselves up for colossal collapse and identity crises, which mostly happen at middle age, by the way. I was having a, a crisis in the middle of my life, and my wife said, oh, you're having a midlife crisis. I said, no, no, it's just a crisis in the middle of my life. Totally different. <laughs> Stuff like this, like forgetting about, I mean, you want to be rooted in this. Like, I just want my identity rooted in Jesus and that alone. But the reality is, is you're not that awesome. I'm not that awesome. And when the pressure comes on and we begin to lose things that we attach our identity to, then we start to fall and slip into crisis. Like when the Seattle Kraken lose a, football, a hockey game or the Seattle Seahawks lose the Super Bowl. Okay, too much identity in a sports team. <laughs> All those grieving with me, just say amen. Okay, right. Here we go. You might know this guy. You might, have, you might have seen this guy. The Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay in his earlier days. I believe this is Sonny Liston when he knocked him out. The first time he became uh, the heavyweight champion of the world. And he was the youngest boxer to ever do that. And he said this amazing phrase. You can go to the next slide. Um, well, you, he always said, I'm the greatest of all time. Right? I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, right? And he had this unconventional way of fighting. He was tall and he was long and he was really fast. He was so fast, people just couldn't catch up to him. And he was always making people miss. You can do the next slide. And they would just tire themselves out. And he, he actually, they said he punched faster than some of the greatest middleweight fighters of all time. He was faster than them and, and, and he was just a monster. And he was cocky. In fact, I read this thing about him that said that, like, he actually wasn't like that really before, but then he met with this WWE wrestler friend of his, and the guy talked him into being like that. And he goes, listen, you're going to make way more money. It's going to be awesome. You could do this. And so he became the WWE guy of professional boxing, and it worked. And he was amazing. He's, I'm a bad man, right? I'm the greatest of all time. He was, he was actually so entertaining and so fun. It, he, he, like, exploded boxing and made it so amazing. But he would move so fast that opponents would, would say that he would move and he could, he could move around and, and do things other people could not do. Like, while he was moving, he could strike. And so while he was on the move, before they could reset, there to, he'd already be landing a punch because most guys will like set themselves and then strike, but he could like dance and move and hit all at the same time. And they're like, 
never knew when punches were coming and never knew how to move and dodge from them. And he moved all the time that they, they couldn't tell when he was going to strike. And many, many men got beat to a pulp from this bad, bad man. Let's do the next slide. And he said this. He said, I'm the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. <laughs> I'm the greatest. And he's like, I said that even before I knew I was. This was the confidence inside this dude. And he was, at that time, he was the greatest. He was the greatest entertainer, the greatest all-around boxer. I mean, he was an amazing guy. But like everybody who was the greatest at one time, they just get old. And this is him after he had Parkinson's. This is a really sad ending. Um, but do you know this is the same guy who was the greatest of all time? At least in his day, he was the greatest. Now, now they say that there's actually, they, they've rated it like one or two other people possibly better than him. And you know, it's a huge controversy. Everybody has all their own thoughts about who is the greatest and all that kind of stuff, except in basketball, which is Michael Jordan. So, <laughs> nobody even close. <laughs> Someday, somebody might be better than him. You never know. It might take a while. Let's show the next photo. Even then, even then, even before he knew he was, he was the greatest of all time. This, this little guy had the potential to be the greatest of all time with the gifts that God gave him. And in every season of his life, you can do the last photo. I bet you, if uh, Muhammad Ali passed away, I think in 2016, but um, I bet you if you asked him, this is probably the moment when he felt the greatest of all time. Truly in his heart. Because a lot of that stuff was show, guys. It was all to make money and... I mean, he, the dude was as confident as a human being could ever be. Beyond, he, was, he was arrogant, and everybody thought he was crazy arrogant, but like the people that sort of knew him behind the scenes, most of that was an act to make money and sell tickets and uh, intimidate his foes. But when you see someone, a mom and a dad, love on their baby like this, guys, these are the moments in our families with what we do with our life, the way we love people, this is what really matters. And I bet you to this guy at the end of his life when he was old, these are the people he was thinking about. Not about his boxing career. It was his people. And how we use our gifts, you can do the last one, to be the greatest in what God made us to be. See, the greatest in what God made us to be is about doing the great things he destined for us to do. And Ephesians uh, 5, and Ephesians 2 actually says this about that where his workmanship were made in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. It's like this beautiful workmanship that we were made from God to serve him and to do the things he made us and shaped us uniquely to do that really only we can do and express. And we're called to be the greatest of our time in what he made for us to do and not to be compared to anybody else. Because what happens is when we get our identity from doing what we do and we become an old man or an old woman like Muhammad Ali became an old guy, that's gonna happen to all of us if we live long enough. At some point, the thing we do, whether it's music or preaching or uh, uh, even street ministry or 
you're a, you have a great business, right? At some point, you get so old, you can't enjoy any of those things anymore or do them. It's sad when a great guitar player can no longer play the guitar. That is a sad moment, or a great sports person like can no longer compete at that same level. Many people could beat Michael Jordan in basketball right now. Many, many, many. Probably none when he was in his prime. But now, if his identity was all about being Air Jordan or Muhammad Ali or put your name in the space, the second that thing you could do is taken away from you, your world will collapse, your crisis will begin. But if you root yourself in that tree that I was describing before, the tree of truth who is Jesus, and you put your life in him, it is unshakable, unchangeable, immovable, and nothing can shift your identity. All the circumstances around you can shift. And in fact, all of what we used to think America was could fall away, and we all as believers could be even stronger than before. They're doing it in China. They're doing it right now in, uh, uh, in Afghanistan. They're doing it in Iran is what I was trying to get out of my head. Okay? These are bad places for Christians. Where they, uh, Christians in China are just being led to concentration camps and murdered because of their faith. Some are saying it's rivaling the Holocaust. Maybe worse. It's hard to know because it's all controlled and nobody knows. Guys, if we allow things to keep going the way they're going, voting the way we're voting, voting in the people we're voting, our world is going to look like China. Because it's exactly what the enemy wants, is to destroy all good things and all people. And ultimately, it comes down to killing Christians. You know it's cool now in Hollywood and some other places to hate Jews? Anti-Semitism is on the rise. Again! Oh, I wonder why it's on the rise again. Because the devil hates God's children, folks. And if the church doesn't stand up and be who we call, he called us to be and take our gifts to be the greatest that God has made us to be, rooted in love and in who he is, unshakable on the foundation of Christ, then we will get blown around and messed up. And when the, all of the comforts and the things around us collapse, and if our identity is attached to them, then our identity collapses with them. But God has called us to be these oaks of righteousness that rebuild the ancient ruins of the city. This is in Isaiah. And when everything collapses around us, the oak of righteousness is the thing that's left. And that's only found in Jesus. Where identity is in him, we're unshakable, we're immovable. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built this house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the stream rose and the winds blew and it beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. This is our life and our decision to build on the rock that is Christ, that is Jesus, or to build on the world and all the worldly ideas because we want to be accepted and feel important by them. 
It needs to work the other way around. I am an oak of righteousness built on the truth and the reality of who Jesus is and what he says is, is. Who he says I am is who I am. And when I run to him, and I run to him as a good heavenly father, then I find love and mercy and acceptance. And others can find love and mercy and acceptance under the tree boughs, under the oak tree that God makes me into be. Because I'm rooted in his righteousness. And when the world around me collapses and when the things are, are destroyed around me, people see, oh, there's life there. And when they see that life, they run to it because it's an oasis for them in ruin and destruction. And sin always leads to death, folks. It always leads to destruction. And it always leads us apart and into uh, wanting and needing more. And so when we find that we cannot be fulfilled in all of the lies that the enemy puts out and the world around us collapses, then everyone is now looking to the tree of life, which bears its fruit in season, and its leaf never withers. Whatever it does prospers. That's your kingdom life. That's my kingdom life. But it must be rooted in the reality of who Jesus is. And then if it is, then my identity is unshakable. It's unchangeable. Because Jesus can't be moved. And when I'm on him, I can't be moved. Pretty rad. Psalms 41, 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned me and heard my cry. Turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Lord, do that in my life right now. Amen. God gives gifts. He entrusts gifts to people. And we see them expressed all over in the New Testament from 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, about administration and giving and helps and evangelism and encouragement and leadership and pastoring and prophetic and wisdom and knowledge and miracles and healing and teachings. All these things are empowered and given to his heirs, his children, those who believe and belong to the Father himself. These gifts aren't taken. They're not used or designed to use people to absorb their life force. They're designed to empower people to build the family business. God wants us to be building his family business. And the only way we can build his business is to get his heart and to understand his intention for the business. And that's to see other people come into the kingdom. And our gifts are only to be used or functioning on the rock that is Christ, which is the foundation of love. And the outcome is always love, forgiveness, and acceptance, guys. Three things, love, forgiveness, and acceptance. Your faith activates these things. Your faith will endure forever. Your hope for these things, your hope will endure forever. But it's so that people will come into a love relationship with their loving Heavenly Father. No matter how confused or whatever behaviors are going on in their life, God has made them to matter. He actually designed them to know that they exist. He designed them to be seen. He designed us to be a part of his family. And he's calling and drawing each and every one of us. And all of our gifts are designed uniquely through our shape to be used or empowered and functioning to do that family business, to reach that goal in the family business. And each one of us have our own little part in the family business. And we need to discover what those parts are, but they're never who we are. They never make us who we are. 
And what we desire outside of the family business, what we desire uh, for our own selfish gain or to fulfill our own desires will never identify or, or, or cause us uh, to, to, to be who we are. Those things are not what make us who we are, what we desire. What we do doesn't make us who we are. Who we belong to and who we are made for, who we are chosen by, that's, that is what identifies or causes or roots our identity and causes us to know who we really are. 1 Corinthians 3.21. So do not boast about following a particular human leader for everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death or the present and future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. You belong to him and you're rooted in the Father's love through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. And that is where all of your life begins. All of the amazing things you know in your heart you're made for begins right there. The cool thing is that God tells us, Jesus himself says, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you come from or what you did. There's a guy on the, at Calvary when Jesus was being crucified. There was a, a sinner, a guy who had broken the law, who deserved to be on the cross right next to him, who believed in him, and he was guilty as he ever could be. And Jesus looked over at him, and, and, he, and this guy says, I, I believe that's the Son of God. And Jesus looks over at this guy and says, you're going to be in heaven with me and my father in just a couple minutes. It doesn't matter what you've done. In fact, it doesn't matter what you keep doing. Don't freak out. As long as you love Jesus, what matters, the way you keep behaving outside like Jesus is going to damage you and hurt people around you. So that matters. But for your salvation, it doesn't matter what you've done. God died for all that, and he loves and accepts you, and he wants you to be in his family, and he wants your identity rooted in him. He made you for this, and he made you for this moment right now. And there's many of us in this house that we need an identity shift. Maybe there's things slipping away from you, the things that you've done in your life. Moms, I mean, my... We understand this. Our kids are all growing up and starting to not need us as much anymore. And when we identify as just being a mom and our whole life isn't being a mom and then our kids grow up and they're like, my kid don't need me anymore. That's kind of not actually funny, is it, moms? That hurts. That's sad. And sometimes our relationships get broken and our kids turn up. Uh, either away from the faith or they um, start doing destructive things or they move on or we get in fights and maybe we make big mistakes and it damages our relationships with our children and then we have these broken relationships but there's something in our heart that still desires and loves those babies, right? Mamas, they're still your babies, aren't they? No matter what, those are still your babies. And there's a longing in our heart to be reconciled with our children. And God gives a promise that the father's hearts will be turned to the children. The mother's hearts will be turned to the children. And the children's hearts will be turned back to the fathers and mothers. And, 
I just want to declare that over our church and over every family. And if you're believing God for a turning in your family and you're believing God for your kids to come back, you're believing for your relationships to be restored first, even beyond them getting saved, God's guys, it's great. You obviously want to see everybody get saved, but their relationships being made whole, we don't have to be in agreement for relationships to be made whole. We need to love, accept, and forgive. <coughs> you with me? There's so many people here that need a shift in their identity and to place it on the rock that is Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Will you close your eyes with me for a second as we close? It'll just take a moment, but you're here today on Mother's Day, and I promise you, each one of you has a mother, and wherever your mom is, whether in heaven or whether uh, somewhere else or sitting right next to you, I know that your mom wants you to make a decisive decision to place and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do it for your mom on Mother's Day. But mostly do it because Jesus made you for this. It's actually more important for you, but moms care a lot, don't they? And you know what? Your mom's prayer is going to win. So just give up. Do it anyway. Because your mom is going to win. Some of y'all know this. Your mama, your grandmama praying for you, and it's, you're in trouble. Jesus is coming after you. He loves you to help you, not take away things from you. Some people believe that it's going to take away all your fun. Not true. God is going to empower your life into greatness. You can be the greatest of all time. The greatest you of all time. With all the heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you know, Jesus, that, that's me. I need to choose Jesus. Will you just slip your hand up? Just say, I'm ready to turn my life over to him. I see your hands. Thank you. Anybody else? Yep, I see your hands there. Yep. Yep, all over the room. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Jesus, I'm ready. I'm just going to surrender. My mom's going to win anyway. Jesus, you're going to win anyway. My best life is in you. Come on, lift your hand up. Anybody else? Yep, thank you. All over the place. Yep, awesome. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. Let's just pray all together. We all need a re-shifting of our identity in him, don't we? So let's do this. Jesus, come on, pray with me out loud. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I surrender my life to you right now, my whole life. Come fill my heart with your love. Make me into your likeness and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.